Hey guys, and welcome back to the Skullcast for episode 88. I am here with Azeel. Hey guys. Grail. Hello. And Gobolatula. Mm, hello. Special guest. Uh, Griff was not able to make it, so we subbed in Gobs, a welcome addition to our number one Berserk podcast on the internet. It's nice to be here. <laughs> so thanks for joining us. Uh, we are in the midst of the next hiatus for the series, but before that hit, a number of things happened. First, we got a new episode, 351, which continues Casca's dream and uh, we're close to the end, it seems like. In addition to that, Volume 39 finally landed, although it landed with one less episode than we all kind of expected, which is interesting, and we'll get into that in a second. But also, the release of the new uh, novel, um, not written by Mira, <laughs> uh, Berserk Flame Dragon Knight, which of course is about Grunbeld. Um I was out of town for a week, which is not really uh, related to that, to Berserk news, but it is related in the fact that I only peripherally absorbed all the Berserk news that was out there this week. So I'm a little rusty. I have not been keeping up with the threads and a lot of the conversations. So if I'm redundant in what I say, I apologize. Um, But um, we'll get through this in one way or the other. I will say I I wanted to start by talking about the novel because, um, you know, even casting aside the whole idea of a loser writing Mira's story for him and not Mira himself, um, the vignettes of these images that he provided there, I think there's eight of them. They really stuck in my head like all week I was on vacation and like just seeing those and imagining what the story that was being told. I just kept thinking about all the possibilities really, really, really liked them. Um, I just, there's something about, the idea, something that resonates with me about the idea of a young pre-evil, pre-apostle Grunbeld and, you know, what that kind of character would be like. It seems like he'd be a pretty great character. Um, I don't know what you guys thought about the illustrations. It seemed like the reception was pretty positive overall. I mean, they're pretty nice, like everything Mira produces, I would say. And uh, there's actually nine, uh, nine uh, of them, nine illustrations, including two of them, which are uh, double pages, you know, two-page spreads. And uh, yeah, yeah, they're pretty nice. And obviously, <clears throat> I mean, Grunbeld is a, a fan favorite character. So even though he's had a relatively minor role in the series, uh, he's uh, well appreciated. And, uh, you know, most people, I think, uh, would want to know his backstory. But uh, yeah, obviously... Uh, most of us, at least on the forum, uh, would have preferred it to be by Mura and not by uh, uh, Makoto, I forgot his name, uh, Makoto Fukami. Fukami? Yep, yeah, Makoto Fukami. So, um, yeah, but yeah, the, the illustrations are pretty nice. I, I enjoyed them. Now, how much do we know about the actual writing process? Because I can't imagine this existing any way but Mura coming up with like a... Like a an outline and giving it to the other guy just because, you know, he's an expert in writing manga and not light novels. So maybe that's the only reason he, you know, first thing is, uh, I actually haven't gotten the book yet, so I'm, I'm not sure it's even a light novel because it's been, uh, uh, you know, how to say presented as a novel proper. So difference for those who don't know is a light novel is mostly, uh, like dialogue. So it's just told through dialogue between characters Versus a novel, which is like, you know, descriptions, you know, it's like prose. So, uh, and uh, light novels are usually pretty heavily illustrated. And uh, this one has got illustrations, but it's just uh, nine total. So, um, I don't know how many pages it's got. So, um, we, we don't actually, right now, we don't know much about it yet. And um, 
The thing is, though, it's being advertised as uh, an original story from uh, Makoto Fukami, uh, based on an original work by Mura. So, <clears throat> it, lots of lots to interpret from just that description. Yeah, yeah. It, it just seems like uh, you know uh, Fukami took the little backstories that's told in one panel in the manga and just went from there. At least that's what it seems like. Now, maybe Mura gave him an outline. I don't know, and uh, I don't think we'll know uh, unless uh, they tell us. I think we'll know if and when we get to see Grunbelt's backstory, which, of course, has always been kind of the taint that comes with this whole idea of outsourcing a character's backstory to a, 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 some, a different writer is, will this be incorporated or are fans expected to know this to you know, get Grunbelt's backstory or not? I mean, we don't, we don't know. I, I have to imagine, just to respond to Gob's your question, I have to imagine that Mira gave some outline for his expectation. I don't think he would pr- place all responsibility for who and what the circumstances were for the sacrifice in somebody else's hands. I can see writing the complete novel in somebody else's hands, even though I don't like the idea of it. I, I have to imagine he got some kind of outline. It just would seem weird, right, for him to like, like what if he did some Zod? It'd be really weird. Because it has to be consistent with his character, consistent with the little bit of slim backstory we already have. Right. I have to imagine that's how it went, but I don't know. Yeah, sure. you know, it's hard to say. I mean, Mira also likes, we, we know, like, he's a pretty humble type of guy, and he doesn't meddle too much in uh, the stuff that's being done, usually, when it's like tie you know, merchandise or derivative stuff. So I don't know, honestly, I don't know myself um, to what extent he was involved. Either way, we, we even don't know uh, the full details of the story yet, so we don't know where it goes. But It's true. It's, it's, it's hard to interpret just based on this, but it looks like actually a variety of scenarios. C- kind of what my, my expectation going into this was maybe it'll just be about that final conflict that ends up with the sacrifice. But no, it seems like it ranges from when he was, you know, quite young to slightly older. Some, you know, some years pass. At least it appears that some years yeah. pass in the course of this novel, which is which is neat. Well, you know, I mean, you know, since they did a novel, might as well, like, really go into the character. Otherwise, that could have been done, like, in the manga itself. So, you know, what I hope is that at least, you know, the novel has some added value uh, as opposed to it just having been done in the manga. And like you said earlier, uh, the big question right now is whether that's going to live on its own, whether it's going to be referenced in the manga, and of course, when or whether it will be skipped altogether. It's, uh, it's a big question for me because I'm not opposed to uh, stuff being done aside from the manga itself, but when it detracts from it, when it means something's done outside and it's not done in the manga by Mira, then you know it starts uh, bothering me a lot. It's true. And actually, you know, I, I've talked about this in the last podcast, is I actually wonder how and if we will actually get the full story because this is not the kind of thing that can be translated by fans without blatantly, you know, going over the copyright issues. Because a translation of the novel is effectively, you know... That's the novel. <laughs> that's the novel, you know. It's not like where you have a text translation of a manga and the visuals are, you know, left out of that whole process. This is this would be a wholesale piracy translation, so... And we have no way of knowing at this point if Dark Horse is even going to pick up that property the thing is it'd be a, a big investment for not much return because they're talking about already a tangential piece of merchandise right not a primary piece of merchandise something that's going to add on with 30 times the amount of text to translate so 30 times the translator fee i think we recently heard that berserk is dark horse's like biggest 
true. Yeah, and I mean they've they've translated the Vampire Hunter D novels, haven't they? So yeah, I mean there there is a a chance. You know, I'm hoping that that they, you know, look look at this as an opportunity to bring more Berserk over over here. That would be pretty cool. Yeah, I agree with Gobs. And the thing is, like, because it's they said it's their biggest selling property of like of all time, and not just manga, but of everything they have. So yeah, I think it would make sense for them to try to cash in on that. And like, uh, translators fees, uh, translators fees are not actually that high. Uh, so, you know, I mean, I'm sure they're, they're cheap, but, uh, I, they'll probably be willing to pay for that, you know, if they, if they expect they can make some money off of it. That would be great either way. I, I would like to know what the story is, but at the same time, I have, I have some reservations about it, you know. The only problem is uh, the translators they use uh, is not that good. So, you know, mm-hmm. it's already not that great in manga form, but in novel form, I don't know probably would be pretty bad some of the smaller details about this this novel that i really liked was uh a, a few new characters are introduced um and i love the designs on them mira kind of brought his own flavor to them the armor designs are also really cool uh you know evocative of certain creatures a lot of times you have these insignias of dragons or otherwise um i i imagine there are a big, you know, northern influence here. The 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 whales, or not whales, um, seals, walruses, uh, walrus, walrus, yes, <laughs> walrus designs of the helmets. The um, I wonder if dragon itself would not necessarily be a northern thing, but because like it's like cons- consistent <laughs> designs throughout, which I like a lot in the armor designs. Um, but the two characters, one, three characters, one of them, the girl has some insignias on her outfits that seem to imply she could have some connection with uh, magic users or, as Elliot said earlier, possibly a druid, given her connection or apparent connection with animals. Yeah, and so, like, she has a, a tree scale as a symbol, which is a Celtic symbol, um, you know, known for, for that, among many other things, very old and ancient. And, uh, yeah, she's got a connection uh, to animals, and she seems to be a kind of oracle because... I read in a summary that she, when she first meets Grumble, she tells him, you know, something about his future, that he'll be a very strong dragon or something like that. So, yeah, I'm, I'm just guessing here, but I think she might have a kind of a druidish thing going on with the animals and the stuff. So, maybe a bit like Daiba, you know, magic user, but um, not a very uh, highly knowledgeable and powerful one like Shuruke or Flora would be, but more of a, you know, kind of a low-level one. You, you kind of bury the lead in the middle there. You actually have a summary of this thing? No, you know, uh, I read, like, it's not even a summary, uh, some kind of description on uh, some Japanese site. It's like, oh, okay. Yeah. That's more than I've seen. No, no, it's not even, you know, like, not even a summary of the story. I think it's, like, just, you know, a description of the first page or something. It's very, very short. Oh, okay. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, I think that first page was included in that little advertisement that was distributed. Yeah, yeah. I, I honestly, I even forgot where I read it, but it's, it's nothing okay. like nothing serious. Yeah, a couple of other details I wanted to bring up was you can start to see uh, the Behirit around his wrist uh, on one of the illustrations. The, the two-page spread of him, you know, smashing all those walrus people. You can see it on his wrist, and you see it again in the following page uh, when he's holding the girl. 
So it's, I'm assuming that's the moment of sacrifice. What's a little unclear is the final, you know, second to final page of him uh, as a transformed apostle. You know, what his actual intentions are with what appears to be the final surviving comrade he had, that guy with the blonde hair. Uh, I don't actually know. I'm going to go ahead and say that guy didn't leave to see the next day. Sure. (laughs) I mean, he didn't look like he was going to survive this. He wasn't going to lick him. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I guess I mean I don't you know what what transpired between those three characters is completely unknown. Do not know. Also, uh, another thing that surprised, kind of, kind of surprised me was, uh, you know, my assumption for what Grunbeld's sacrifice was, you know, did not align with this. But of course, my assumption was based on the one panel description we got that you know he had held off a greater force with a very small force, you know, and that's what makes him, you know, that's what, what why he's a legendary hero in that sense. But. Uh, I had assumed he had sacrificed his men in order to complete that fight or something like that. It's just a guess based on the limited information that we had, but it appears to be a much more personal thing that it was, it seems to have been about this girl. Yeah. uh, Could be wrong. mm, Well, we didn't know much about it then. And we still don't know that much about it now. So I think maybe you'll be surprised. Yeah. 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 In any case, um, Cool illustrations, and again, I really liked uh, thinking about what the possibilities were for uh, these drawings. Just one question, though. <clears throat> Does the fact that this might be just the beginning in a series of novels about, you know, mm-hmm. the apostles like Lacus or Vine, Rakshas, maybe even Zod, who knows? <clears throat> what do you think of that? <laughs> My thoughts have not changed. I look forward to the illustrations. At the same time, I feel like it's somewhat spoilerish as we progress higher in the, if you want to call it, hierarchy of apostles. If there are Zod illustration scans out there of his past, I, I might not even want to look at them. You know, if, if if something like that for sure would be incorporated into the story eventually. Uh, what if they're not? That'd be even worse. Yeah. <laughs> That's the worst case scenario, right? If, if he's going to, quote unquote, outsource Zod's background or even Skull Knight's, you know. Um, to cast a larger stone in this pile of shit. <laughs> It'd be very, very, very unfortunate. I, I, I'm getting ahead of myself, but it, it would change my opinion about Berserk if he went that far. Mm. Okay. But what if it was necessary? And I don't want to speculate on Mira's, you know, his health or anything like that. But, you know, the fact of the matter is, is he's, you know, um, not producing the manga as, as fast as he has in the past. And, uh, you know, I hope it's not it's still, it's still a, a necessity, a but, you sure. know, obviously I, I want everything in the manga and, uh, it would be kind of crappy to have to, you know, if I want to learn about Zod's backstory, for example, if I have to, you know, read these novels, I don't know, I'd be kind of bummed <laughs> out if that were the case, but yeah. if it were necessary, that would be kind of different. I still feel like even from the beginning, even before we had these illustrations and other otherwise, I've always felt like he could achieve these kinds of moments in the manga, just like he did with Ganeshka in a few pages. You know, he could tell the story in a few panels in a few pages, just like this is really kind in a way telling a story. I'll buy it a larger story uh, through the illustrations. So I think it's totally possible for him to do it. It's a matter of choice about how he wants to present the story. Yeah. And I think it's all about, like you guys were saying that the hierarchy of importance between apostles, because if, you know, I'll be real with you guys. I don't really mind or care if he comes out with a locust novel or, or you know, 
a rakshas no no i mean it's <laughs> I, what i'm saying is i'm saying is it's all good like i'll if yeah. that means the manga will come out at a good rate and you know the story will be complete but i feel like with with zod or skull knight like that's that's sacred territory people i want a volkov if, novel uh, yes <laughs> see See, that's the kind of apostle I would not mind a novel for. <laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't mind that. I, I'd buy the novel. But uh, yeah, the problem is, uh, <clears throat> like these novels wouldn't, like even if you know everything was uh, outsourced, you know, it would still not, you know, fix the main problem, which is that at the current pace of you know release of episodes, and given what seems like all that's left to be told in the manga, um, you know, like it can't be done in order to for it to to be done. Uh, you know, in, before Mira's really too old, you know, he would have to, the, the rate would have to be increased a bit. And it's actually a good way to bridge into the eight episodes uh, that comprise vo- uh, volume 39 because <clears throat> I think, you know, to me, wh- when I saw eight episodes, my first thought that maybe they're trying to uh, lower the amount of episode per volume because they're trying to get back to regular volume releases, which makes, uh, of course, a lot of sense from a commercial standpoint because people, fans, will buy one volume a year. That's something they can get behind. They understand it. Even internationally, those who don't get the episodes, they're like, oh, yeah, but okay. I buy it every year it comes out. I buy it. If it's like every two years or three years or whatever, people are like, I don't know. I don't know what's going on with it. I just, you know, move on to something else. Casual fans are more likely to forget. Yep, and thing. so and so I think you know um, we might see. Of course, it's just a guess against based on nothing but uh, wishful thinking. But I think we might see an effort uh, to get to eight episodes a year, you know, pretty consistently. Um, because I feel like if we get a volume a year, you know, it means in ten to fifteen, twenty years, whatever, we get it done and it's done properly with everything addressed. Everything done well. And uh, otherwise, if we get to like half a volume a year, so a volume every two years, I don't think it's doable. Or it means uh, there will be uh, corners that are cut short. And that means novels, outsourcing, and that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, just as a reminder that, you know, volume 38 came around, came out virtually a year ago. Uh, It uh, it was 624, and this uh, volume 39 came out 623. So he did achieve, you know, a full volume in the course of a year. And it does seem like there's some consistency there that they might want to continue. I mean, that's how I felt back when they were, when they changed the number of episodes from 10 to 9. It It was for, so they could finally release a volume, you know. What was a little strange about um, 39 was that 351 was available and presumably has been in their hands for at least a little bit of time. The question of the question is how soon has was it and how much of a lead time did they need to assemble a volume for mass production? It could be that it just missed the window of opportunity so that it could make it to Young Animal on the date of the volume release, but it couldn't make it into volume 39. Or you know, there's a number there's a number of things that could have went into that decision but in any case you know even though 351 was available it was not included in 39 yeah and it Even made for a pretty good cliffhanger too episodes long again yeah it's possible i mean <clears throat> volume volume counts has varied before we used to get 11 10 11 uh you know that was in the 20s so um who knows it's possible it will uh, go back up again we only time will tell but that being said i, I do think 
there might be um, you know a concerted effort to try to get volumes out more regularly. So I don't know if that will change. You know, when we get past Casca's uh, uh, revival, I don't know. You know. You know what uh, might be the thing that you know makes it happen, but I do think it's uh, necessary, so it, it's going to happen eventually. Yeah, uh, the other thing about Volume Thirty Nine was that uh, there are no new names spelled out in the in glossary or the, the character section, which is a shame, but that's just how it goes. And there's a new poster or a new colored image of the Queen. Uh, the elves, uh, consistent with our expectations, she is pink with pink hair. Looks pretty cool. Uh, can't wait to see it in person. The other side of the poster is the same uh, that was in Young Animal. I think it was a couple issues ago of Guts just swinging a sword. Um, we've seen it before. So it was a full page of that with no text all over it, thank God. <laughs> and that's it. Uh, volume 39 is out now. Um, I guess we can... Oh, right. Of course, the anime. Uh, the second season of uh, the Berserk animation is now complete. The suffering is over. <laughs> For now. It ended very awkwardly. I actually haven't seen it. I read summaries and I saw some images. I haven't had a chance to watch it because I actually kind of accidentally, kind of on purpose, canceled my Crunchyroll subscription after <laughs> I finished Attack on Titan, which I didn't even know was over until it was over. I go, well, finish that. I guess I'll cancel. Oh, right. There was a Berserk final episode. <laughs> Whoops. I, honestly, it was, it was a mistake, but... In any case, it ends when they're still in Vertanis. You know, there was a logical ending point if, if, if the number of episodes wasn't a factor and time wasn't a factor. They would end it on the voyage, right? As they set sail for Elfhelm. But uh, not the case. They'd, they end it uh, in the, the small supper scene when they get in that little bar fight. Uh, and that's it. It's over. Man, that's uh, so bad. S- still lots to do in Vertanis. <laughs> From beginning to end, is so stupid. God. Yeah. It's really weird. Uh, the the images I saw from the last episode, uh, the animation quality is huge drop from even what I saw the previous episodes. You know, one character moving in a fight scene while everything else is static in the background. You know, the kind of shit we've seen before. It's uh, I wouldn't say it's a shame because we should have seen it coming after at this point after twenty four episodes of this shit. But it is it is a shame to see Berserk done this way every every time. One of my biggest gripes with the anime is that most of it is shit. And then suddenly we'll get a very cool looking uh, animation sequence or a close up or something. Traditionally mm-hmm. animated. Right. And or a close up that's like a copy of what's in the manga. I'm like, oh, all right, mm-hmm. cool. And then suddenly it's back to like the crappy CG again. I'm like, God damn it. You know, it was a good two episode span. I don't know the numbers of it, but it was when they were in Flora's mansion and when they went to Enoch Village. The quality, it looked pretty good. There was a couple scenes where, like, wow, because they were using, they were really leaning heavily on the 2D animation in those two episodes. You know, and the pacing of it was right. The animation looked good whenever it was 2D. And I was like, this is actually somewhat acceptable. Like, right, my bar is pretty low already at this point. And it was, it was going, it was thumbing up. It was going a little bit higher. I was like, oh, cool. And then it just dropped, you know, plummeted as soon as the fight began in Enoch. It was just, woof, bad stuff. So, yeah, it's a shame. But, um, so that whenever the, this first season ended, uh, it ended with a teaser for saying season two coming. I think it said spring 2017 or early 2017, and it showed uh, you know the Berserker armor. 
Um, this time there was no such thing. There was a, an image of guts that said the story continues, which really just means the manga. Go is buy the manga, guys. Go buy the manga, please. <laughs> you know, there was there was no explicit teaser of another season coming, which is kind of confirms what we had expected uh, some months ago that this deal was for twenty four episodes, one and done. Um, no news of the next one. So we're kind of back in limbo, although it's a comfortable limbo at this point about what to expect from animation for Berserk moving forward. It'll probably, I would guess it would be a number of years before we heard anything else, but I could be wrong. Uh, we'll see. I need a number of years to recover. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mm. Uh, the, n- the number of years either being to transition to a new team of animators or to begin production of another season. The thing is, they're very quickly running out of space if they're just trying to chronologically catch up with the series. There, there's maybe a season left. I don't think easy were to do, uh, like to continue what's you know they've started here i think it would be as the same thing it would be done uh like this mm. year or next year very quickly i think if uh, you know a uh, number of year goes by it would have to be a totally new project because honestly i don't think any new team would want to like you know start from that i mean so bad and uh hopefully mm-hmm. uh you know the next time berserk is animated will be done the right way with a budget and uh, people who are actually professionals and know what they're doing and respect the series and the manga and the story and the characters um, and themselves. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One other thing I forgot to mention about the recent adaptation was a lot of times you'd see people saying, well, at least they're adapting it faithfully this time and keeping all of the you know characters in there and the little scenes in there. It was panel for panel pretty much carbon copy in terms of what they were portraying for uh, the vast majority of season two. And then they just arbitrarily chose not to include uh, the boy in the moonlight, which is like, whoa, left turn. <laughs> so stupid. Like, why not? They could have, instead of ending at the supper in the uh, returnist, they could have ended as a bitch, you know, and included the boy. Mm-hmm. I mean, that would have made more sense, actually. But, you know, what do I know? It would have made quite a bit more sense. And also, it wouldn't have even taken much more time to include the boy. It requires an extra scene and a half uh, for the boy. So what they did instead, so instead for, for guts to come back to his senses after using the armor um, with the Makara, they have basically, you know, Shirke was simultaneously trying to do, you know, rescue guts. So they just cut out the, the boy's part where he projects his astral body, or presumably that's what he's doing and says, you know, you know, look, wake up, putting his hands on them and that awesome effect that happens on the armor whenever that happens. You know, that's just not really there. Or actually, it's Shirke that does it. Uh, so they just cut out the boy and all of his powers completely and say Shirke did it, which is like, whoa. Uh, it's, 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 it's as bad or worse than the 97 series not including Skull Knight, basically. Yeah. Because it creates a huge problem moving forward. I mean, I don't know how you recover from it or, or what you do. I guess you, you can fabricate another introduction of the boy later on, I guess, is how you recover from that. But on the island, yeah. Oh, yeah. To me, that was an indication that they didn't plan to go forward after that. And um, because, mm-hmm. yeah, it just fucks up the story down the line. You know, it's something, you know, by that time, either, either read the mangas and know uh, the boy's got a role to play, an important role. So, yeah, it would be pretty stupid. And I think they just didn't include him because they didn't want to bother uh, creating the 3D model. You know, that might be something... <laughs> oh, fuck. It might be something as stupid as that. I w- Come on. It's- I-, I really wouldn't put it past them, man. For them, all they got to do is to go into, like, 3D models and get a, a mop, basically, for their standards and just put some eyes on it. Got long hair. <laughs> With some googly eyes. skinny. <laughs> yep, there you go. 
Yeah. Yeah, no. That, you can't you can't discount their level of laziness at this point. <laughs> yeah. Mm. You know, it might be like whatever a free uh, software they're using might have a number of on the you know limit on the number of uh, free of models free you trial? can create. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so they were the end of the trial. We got to finish it, man. I only got one day left. I can't create any no, any new models. Yeah, their ZBrush free free trial ended, so they had to <laughs> they had to make some cuts. <laughs> There's like a watermark on the final rendering. Yeah. <laughs> Did I tell you that someone actually on Reddit had isolated the the, the source of the infamous clang sound effect of the sword, the Dragon Slayer? Oh, it's boy. from a archive of Steam, like basic sound effects for Steam games or what is it, Valve games. What, what do they call it? Source, source, source sound effects library. It's a, it's a slowed down version of like a bullet hitting a piece of metal, and they slowed it down. And it's it literally they recreated the clang from that one source sound effect. So do you think the game, the, the anime is actually made in uh, in source? Because like I have no oh, idea. Yeah, may, maybe I think they might have just imported. They could they could oh, have just God, imported the source. I know they're doing it in Gary's mod. That's it. <laughs> That's fucking it. They're doing it in oh. fucking Gary's mod, man. <laughs> man <laughs> oh, that God. would be such a better series if that was the case. Yeah, shit. <laughs> Would be better, God. Oh boy, everything takes place in a giant rectangle, <laughs> and just oh yeah. boy, yeah, imagine just, the possibilities. They could have just reenacted the whole series using a Team Fortress Two character model. Yes, <laughs> guts is the heavy. This is simple. <laughs> oh, <man. Yeah. laughs> Somebody actually needs to make this, and it would be better than what they did. Yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> would Griffith be the spy, or would Griffith be? Let's not go down that road. <laughs> Skull Knight is Skull Knight's Pyro. I got that much. <laughs> this is fun. Okay, we should get we should keep going because we're we are a little crunched on time. Um, I say we start on three fifty one. The main event. Yes, the uh, Forest of Corpses and Thorny Cedars. That's a mouthful of an episode title, um, but it is the start of where the atmosphere gets gloomier and gloomier and more treacherous for our characters as they go deeper into Casca's mind towards the main event of really what started this process to begin with this, the visuals, um, the cedars that are basically with bodies impaled on them. And there's, there's quite a lot more happening with each. It's, it's like, it's, they're almost organic. Like they're growing these things. It's yeah. They, they got some kind of veiny things and the skeletons are half merged with them. So yeah, it's pretty, pretty horrible. Yeah, some pretty strong uh, uh, Giger imagery right from the beginning, yep. aside from the obvious. Yep, and those thorns, you know, like it's funny because like the mountain itself is in the form of a spike, and the like the trees themselves, like the spikes everywhere, which, you know, I feel like there's a, some obvious symbolism there, but <clears throat> I think it might even play a bigger role than that uh, in the next few episodes, you know, the kind of spiky thing all around, it feels like it's meant to hint at something. Mm-hmm. To me, is most reminiscent. The scenery is of there's a panel in volume thirteen. Uh, it's, it's really what it's a guts focused panel, but it's it's when an apostle has the heads of all of these comrades on its fingers, and it, the, the heads are each impaled on one finger. And it's like Mira took that idea and just like made it writ large, basically for these trees. Yeah, that's right. It reminds me. It's also something guts. When he has flashbacks, he often re- you know remembers the teeth and the claws, you know that kind of thing. And yeah, it's true. Uh, Thematically, that's very reminiscent, you know, and you can see like on the trees, you know, there's always some kind of stuff like some kind of flesh, you know, hung up on the on the thorns. So it's yeah. And, you know, I mean, obviously, all the corpses, it all symbolizes uh, 
the band of the Falcon, you know, who are just, you know, dead after having been massacred. And in, in keeping with that, the whole atmosphere or even the momentum of this episode is reminiscent of the eclipse where it's just overbearing forces where anything Shirke and Farnese toss at them, uh, of these monsters, there's, there's always just more of them and they, it's never quite enough to get through. They have to keep changing directions. And there's a great moment where she's already used, you know, presumably all of the summons that she has. And then even that's not enough. And they're, they're back against backs against the wall. And it, it really leads to this, this frantic pacing. Like they really have re- met basically their match in terms of what they're capable of doing. And then they find, you know, another pathway through the, the cedars and then more monsters come. It's just, it's very, the whole episode's very harrowing, you know, much more than the previous ones. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's a, um, you know, mad dash to the summit, you know, yeah. they have to like, it feels like the pace is accelerating because uh, it's something Shuriki comments on, but like as they get closer and closer, the environment gets more and more hostile, you know, uh, showing that it really doesn't want them to actually reach that part, you know. So it almost feels like at first, you know, they got, when they just arrived in the place, they got the bats, then they started, you know, uh, fighting back against it, then they got more and more, and, you know, the more they throw at it, the more, you know, uh, the danger becomes, the bigger it becomes, the more stuff it's thrown at them so that it ends up uh, overwhelming them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then oh, kind of an overall commentary about this whole process is that I feel like, you know, we were presented with the biggest conflict so far in this dream sequence, but I feel like there's the biggest is yet to come because they haven't even truly begun the restoration process. What they've been doing is kind of collecting Casca's memories in this body, this kind of empty shell. But I feel like ultimately they're going to have to somehow merge this resistant piece of Casca's mind with this body to ultimately complete her. And I imagine that's going to be pretty traumatizing. And I don't, and I don't know, even know in what well, way. You're kind of skipping ahead to the end here. But uh, yeah, obviously, I mean... Like, so far, they've just been collecting the fragments of her broken mind. But since now they are going to be facing uh, the events that actually broke her mind in the first place, it's not like, you know, having just, you know, gathered all these fragments will do no good. They will have to find a way to make it so that Casca's mind uh, is okay with it, you know, so that, the, you know, it doesn't break anymore, even when you reintegrate that. And, of course, that's like, it's the it's reasons they were sent in the in that place to begin with so in a way everything they did so far was just a prelude to the actual task they set out to accomplish when they started within the final pages we see what seems to be the final piece is what Shirke says and I, I like that all the previous fragments of memories were almost inviting just right along their path as, as they were led there by the pedals and they just had to basically chance upon them and interact with them and then the, the, the memory played itself out Whereas this one's protected. Like, it doesn't want to be shown. It doesn't want to be seen. I like the idea of that. I mean, before even getting into the cocoon of brambles, they have to cross that kind of, you know, final little plane. And uh, it's like, how do you get past that? And, I don't even know. <laughs> yeah, and those kind of uh, vines don't look like, uh, you know, they will stay passive as uh, girls thread through them. So maybe they'll have to mm. burn yeah. their way through or something. But... Uh, yeah, I think there will be some uh, resistance uh, in there. And, you know, I mean, needless to say, these are both reminiscent of all the blood, uh, you know, the kind of blood vessels that went up to uh, Femto's egg and uh, also of uh, Apostle Tentacles. The thing about the cocoon was 
my laying my eyes on it at first, I was like, oh, well, clearly that's meant to represent kind of the embryonic form of femto. Uh, but I, I, it's just not something I knew that Casco was privy to. Uh, I know that Guts was able to see through the hand at one point, kind of mysteriously. But uh, I don't think Casca got that kind of close-up vision of what was happening. Well, I think uh, yeah, I seem to remember it couldn't be seen from below, and uh, you know, like when the egg actually hatched, it was visible, you know, because the end uh, had opened up. So mm-hmm. I think that might be in reference to that. It's it's kind of hard to say, mm-hmm. you know, because yeah. that's that happened, uh, you know, like. We don't know what she could see, uh, you know, in the parts uh, which are not shown in the in the manga proper. So it's possible she she got a look at it. Yeah, but in any case, uh, it seems like it's happening uh, in winter 2017. So I am very scared for both Farnese and Shirke, uh, just because they've they've gone through all of these memories so far with no problem, but. At the same time, they're they're experiencing what Casca experienced, and they're going to have to, through this final fragment, feel what Casca felt during the eclipse, and uh, yeah. that's going to be r- pretty rough. And uh, yeah, there it's not going to be fun. I I totally agree, and uh, it actually I was thinking earlier about how many episodes were left, you know, for for this sequence, and I would say probably two and uh i think there's also like maybe three main things going on first they have to get to the fragment itself so they have to defeat uh whatever's standing in their way then they have to experience the memory which as shiruke commented it's so awful and you know what it did to casca was so bad that they are themselves in danger and i have no idea Always they will get past it. And of course, the mm-hmm. final thing is uh, then they have to manage uh, to get Casca to agree, I mean, to, to fix her mind, to agree to get past it or to tolerate it or whatever, but not, you know, to not be insane. Um, so, yeah, that's actually a lot still left to do. And it's going to be a lot more dangerous than what whatever else have done so far because I feel like people uh, kind of underestimate um the fact uh they're collecting the fragments aside from the fact it was meant to show that it was a long process complicated process uh, that needed perseverance it also allowed uh Farnes and Shiruke to get to know the real casca uh in advance of her return and that's a big part i mean Farnese essentially like she started to get over guts you know in these episodes and that's not nothing you know that's a, that's a mm-hmm. big deal so a lot of things uh, have been going on here they're gonna have to experience some real terrifying stuff but they're gonna since they're gonna know casca a lot better i think that uh shirke and farnese i think will be able to help her sort of transition back into uh reality and sort of be there for her when you know, yeah, yep. I, you know, I think uh, I totally agree, and I think it's uh, it's not uh, a coincidence. Uh, the two girls of the group uh, went in Casca's mind. I think uh, it's the beginning of a girls' power kind of you know trio uh, within the group, uh, which is you know gonna be pretty rad. At least I hope so. But they all, the three of them, are pretty different, and I think. By having experienced what she experienced, uh, they're going to be able to, you know, help her cope, and she'll also be able to help them 
maybe cope with what they witnessed of her life and you know their own problems. So yeah, it's gonna be pretty rad. But obviously, we gotta get past the tough part first. Yeah. What do you think of that, uh, Natasha? Do you think uh, you know girls? What do you think about the place of the girls in the group? How excited yeah. are you? Yeah, I'm. I'm very excited. I I feel like uh like you guys were saying that um, Casca is going to have a great support system outside of Guts, which I think is going to be very important. And uh, it's good that Guts is going to have a support system as well as it's kind of established in the yeah. previous episodes. He's got like, his bros. He's got his bros. He's got he's got his wingman Roderick, who's you know helping him out there, and and Serpico, and and you know it's it's harrowing, it's disturbing. This whole episode, you know, uh, we didn't really get too much into the monsters here, but the the shapes and characteristics of these creatures in this episode are, you know, as I was telling you as earlier this week, it's disturbing on such a visceral level that it's actually uncomfortable to look at them sometimes because it's just like, ugh, so horrifying. And um, Too many dicks. Yeah. Too many dicks <laughs> on the dance floor. And uh, Hey, they kind of look like penises. <laughs> yeah, you know, I was, I was thinking that I didn't want to say anything, guys, but they do kind of look like wieners. So why would you uh, sing that? Are you guys, you guys a bunch of homos? Uh, <laughs> I am. <laughs> I originally read this uh, episode on my phone, so seeing it on my full screen, I thought the first penis monster that was shooting uh, was, was a wind blast that the Lady of the Depths blocks. But as you can see later, they look like they're spurting like a white liquid out of their mouth, of actually. Yeah, yeah, obviously. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I thought it was wind, yeah. No, it's, uh, it's a liquid which we might say is acid, but which could be, yeah, interpreted as obviously a standing for uh, urine or, you know, sperm or whatever, but... Yeah, I wasn't going to say urine. <laughs> but, you know, I'm fine going ahead and saying it, and, okay. you know, um, like this place is populated with uh, monsters that are all based on penises, why? Because, you know, like the last fragment is about the rape. So when uh, Casca was raped by Femto, and of course that's what traumatized her. And like, I mean, we can already tell that she's going to have a problem. You know, when everybody's like, oh, you know, Skull Knight said, you know, what she wishes for might not be what Gus wishes for. Yeah, well, maybe Casca is not going to be so hot about, you know, having a boyfriend, you know, when she wakes up. And, you know, for right. what reason? Yeah, for this reason specifically. So, um, I, I think it's actually, and I said so in the in the thread, I think it's pretty ballsy of Mira to have done that. And uh, I don't mean to make puns. <laughs> because, I mean, what, like, this is, Berserk is not a minor thing. What kind of guy, you know, will actually draw a uh, penis monsters like that like so obvious like that in his work and i think yeah i i think he's no i think it's really courageous of him to do it and you know we've talked about the eclipse before and i think the rape scene in the eclipse is very tough i think it was a very difficult decision for him to do i think it was very courageous to do it and i think uh you know like casca's uh, ordeal is very harrowing to to what to read you know for readers even even for me to this day, it's a <clears throat> not a nice moment, you know, to read that. And you feel Guts' pain as he watches her. And uh, and I feel like this time we're feeling, you know, again, we sh- we're seeing, you know, what, you know, the horror of what Casca felt and the, the mark it left on her. So to have these monsters, I think it's, uh, I think it's courageous for Mira to do it. And I think it's also pretty, pretty great because he actually managed to make a lot of them uh, who look pretty different, but obviously all based on, you know, yeah, uh, you know, penises. And, um, and yeah, it's pretty cool. Pretty cool, pretty great. Goes 
great with the whole vibe. You know, the, yeah. spiky, and for- the spiky mountains, the symbolism of that, everything. And yeah, the fact there's pure uh, some kind of acid thing, you know, yeah, I mean, sure, great. Why not? I mean, it makes sense. It's uh, when, when you put it on paper that they're attacked by penis monsters, it almost sounds comical. And it, it actually, they all look so grotesque, it's actually horrifying. Like Ducky said, Grail, mm. they're, they are a little uncomfortable to look at. Uh, so that was a kind of a success for Amira to translate what transform what could have been a comical design into something that's actually truly scary to look at. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think you said it as that I feel like. Mira is really putting his money with where his mouth is with with the dealing with the uh, repercussions of the eclipse and stuff like that. Even though it took place for us many years ago, it, it feels very fresh reading some of this and seeing the imagery. And um, I think that it was it was I want to say uh, it probably wasn't a hard decision for for Mira because he just you know he goes ahead and does it, but um, it's. It's interesting to to see all the different types of monster designs and how I'm thinking about how he might have come up with some of these like yeah. <laughs> like the gorillas. <laughs> yeah, the gorillas are great. I mean, you know, the thing is, at some point, and you know, I mean, honestly, again, I mean, what kind of artist will actually go ahead and do that in his series in a series like Berserk? I mean, like I said, he's, he's really like it's it, to me, it's truly courageous and. Uh, and pretty fucking great, you know. All these monsters and beyond that, like to me, it feels like you know, if you put aside the you know the evolution of the artwork, that kind of scene could have taken place in Volume Fourteen. You know, in Volume mm-hmm. Fourteen, you you know, if uh, Gus had been able to venture into Casca's mind, you know, yeah, I could have seen that kind of stuff. You know, that kind of horrible scenery where you see at some point uh, Farnese just by stumbling almost impales herself on some spikes yeah. that are actually coming out of. Uh, some faces, mouths, and eyes. So it's very that kind of you know bio organic, you know uh, you know kind of hybrid horror stuff. Uh, and you know, and of course, yeah, all these monsters that are you know obviously uh, referring to the rape. So yeah, very very nice. Mm-hmm. Like Walter was saying earlier, I also like the fact we we can really tell like there's a kind of acceleration <coughs> and trepidation as they have to you know they see these monsters. You know, there's a bunch of them. One of them starts attacking, so Shuki has to use uh, Lady of the Death to block, you know, that uh, jet of, you know, liquid. Then she uses a golem who starts attacking, you know, uh, throwing them around. But, you know, like the golem is uh, quickly surrounded, you know, more of them are coming. So it's a kind of, it's not like before where, you know, just casting one spell was enough, you know. Uh, Shuki has to search and frantically and she pulls out the Lord of the Rotting Roots. So he makes them rot. Then she has to use the flame wheel and they can escape, you know, while the others are distracting them. So, you know, it's not like, you know, when they first come into this world, they just defeat the enemies and move on. But, you know, progressively, and it also happened in previous episodes, they have to run away while the, you know, summons or distract these creatures. And uh, we actually have a page of transition on page 13 where you see them, like they have to hide from a giant centipede. Then they have mm-hmm. to use small golems to fight off... Uh, so kind of dog-like or whatever, you know, four-legged, uh, you know, monsters. Then they got this kind of huge one with tentacles. That's actually, uh, I really love that design. And again, it's a penis-based design, but I think it's pretty great with that kind of mouth opening and all these little, you know, mouths and tentacles. Then you, you can see they have to fight off with uh, the lights, you know, against some kind of flying mosquito stinger things. 
So, and then we're back and, you know, they are again fighting with all four summons, just trying to escape from these things. And as you can see on their face, they are like exhausted and disabled and everything. So, yeah, I, I don't know about you guys, but to me, this episode really felt frantic. Like they're really running away and trying to get to the summit before they, they, they get killed, you know, basically. Right. They're at the limits of their abilities. Yep. Uh, there's a couple of things. Like first, the episode starts with Shirke and Farnese talking about how you know, these these feelings and uh, how Shirke says like you know if we're damaged here we could be damaged in real life, and then suddenly it gets more and more harrowing. And as Azil, as you said, you know that the four four panel page which I love a lot. There's a transition of time kind of obviously happening because they're approaching these creatures differently with different types of summons. And so yet again stressing how long this sequence must be taking. And he's kind of compressing it all in these little vignettes of what's happening. So by the time that we have this two-page spread where all their summons have been used, I love that we kind of see it all at once, that they have, they really have used you know, their literal all bag of tricks to against all these things. Over the course of time, they've been battling these. And you can see it on their faces in that one panel when they're facing uh, the page, yeah, they look worn out. One thing yeah. I like is that um, you know the little sprite uh, is out, and you know she's staying <laughs> with Farnese. And uh, I like uh, that we are shown a progression where at first she was scared and everything, and now she's very scared of that place. She doesn't want to go to that place, but she still uh, prefers to stay with Farnese than to stay in the coffin. You know, so she wants. I think it kind of shows that uh, even within the dream that little Casca has warmed up to Farnese and uh, is trusting her. I think that will play a role uh, in the next few episodes, you know, for the restoration. I think that will be uh, important. Mm. I didn't think about it until now, but the sprite is witnessing all this. You know, she's not locked up in the coffin. She's experiencing this along with them, kind of seeing what's happening. So I wonder if that will also play a role in terms of the sprite not being shielded from these horrible things. I wonder if since they've run out of, uh, you know, they sort of run out of their own resources, that they're, the last thing they can use uh, is the sprite somehow. Mm. Oh, wow. I wonder. Like, There's one more. That's a that's a great idea, but there, there is one more thing. You know, Farnese also had, you know, Guts as the beast uh, or the armor in, in her oh. dream. And I wonder if that will also <laughs> be something that could be used in the next episode. Oh, that's a cool idea. Bust up all those thorny vines something i don't know but i like the idea like of the spray also maybe being used no i don't think like uh, i don't know if you were serious about that but i don't i don't think she's gonna be using uh like the dragon slayer or anything like that <laughs> no not the dragon slayer <laughs> i don't know no no she won't be using the dragon slayer i just meant that you know we see mozgus in the same scene that we saw yeah uh, you know. she's using it as scrubbing stone but the others are like yes. the characters hanging out i don't think she's just gonna pull up all those clothes from a bag but yeah, <laughs> I did like the appearance of Mazgus here. There's a couple things I liked about it. You know, first that Farnese is taking an active role here. It's not all Shirke. You know, it's Farnese pulls something out that Shirke didn't even know was was there. Uh, this giant stone of Mazgus, and um, it also it's reminiscent of a number of things. First, it's reminiscent of you know Farnese's first experience with Mazgus and his disciples as the 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 hooks kind of just fly out of his mouth like they did in the in the in the what do you call it covered wagon kind of thing the armored wagon is a carriage is a carriage yeah carriage yeah and uh, you know it, it hits the the apostle monsters and and pulls them back in through the grinder which also reminiscent of the torture chamber she saw which i love it yeah. it kind of reminded me of an old fashioned laundry press too <laughs> i don't know <laughs> that's true <laughs> keeping keeping in theme with uh, the laundry yeah. dream that's yeah. ring, too, ringing yeah. out Bringing out the penis monsters. Yeah, and it's it's weirdly appropriate that uh, Mosgus religious bullshit uh, would 
take place here you know i mean yeah if there's one, one occasion where it's warranted it's uh it's here pretty much so that was yeah. that was funny eating a bunch of giant dicks <laughs> <laughs> well specifically gorilla dicks you know so <laughs> yeah. is this is is this count as vor mm. i don't actually know well you know who knows <laughs> at this point it's gotten so crazy that i don't even know if if What's going on? <laughs> and once they're finally through all that, you know, there's yet another obstacle, and that is, you know, the climb itself. They have to have the golem start pushing the co- the the coffin up. Yeah, because it's so steep. Yeah, yeah. I like that the you know the um, how to say the spikes, you know, the, the thorns of the trees are kind of pressing on them, you know, as it as they go up, and you know they comment that the closer they get, the more the environment, you know, really tries to you know becomes hostile and tries to stop them. And, you know, clearly it's uh, <clears throat> something I've said before, but, you know, the environment is a manifestation of uh, Casca's uh, mind and uh, so part of her that doesn't want to get better, doesn't want to get cured. So the more they try, the more hostile it gets because, you know, there's a part of her that doesn't want to return. And that's what yeah. uh, that's what is shown. And that's why they have to, like, they barely make it as the uh, past closes, you know, around them. I really wonder... Now that we're, I'm kind of looking at the final page. I, I wonder how the final memory will manifest itself. Will it begin with the actual rape? Will it be kind of like psychedelic, like a montage of all the things that happened there? Will it just be one exact moment? Kind of like you know, uh, they, they've kind of varied so far. It seems like I wonder how it'll be portrayed. We actually didn't see the last few fragments. You know, when they right. because episode they headed out, there was still more to to be found. So I actually wondered if maybe there would be more than one in this one, and there'll be like a fragment, you know, more, more, you know, it would be all the fragments of the eclipse would be in one place. But you know, I feel like it would make more sense for it to only be the fragment of the rape, you know, like the because that's that's the key moment, you know. Um, and yeah, what form will it take? I, you know, I have no idea. I mean, it's, uh, it's kind of hard, hard to say. I, I think we'll focus on, uh, you know. At least in part on uh, her looking at guts, looking at her, you know, because yeah. I think that that part was pretty instrumental. So, yeah. Yeah. And again, as we've said before, the true conflict here, you know, even after they get to the thorns, even after they somehow reattach a fragment, it is actually the convincing of Casca that there is worth something to live for. Yeah. Which will be a huge, huge moment that I think everyone's kind of been waiting for that point. And it seems to be right on the horizon, literally. Right there. <laughs> Making sure the doll doesn't actually break up again, you know. Mm. So I guess that's three fifty one. Um, we will be back in a month, maybe. I guess we're back to the rereads now. I hadn't even actually thought about it. Back to the grind, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. No, it's funny to think that we'll have another what five, six months. It's uh, probably and summer just started, so yeah, six months. Yeah, I would expect yeah. Um, the next one would be December at the earliest. So be a nice little Christmas present. Yep, exactly. Oh, for real. Exactly. I mean that would almost be you know inappropriate, but uh, I don't know. Very emotionally difficult Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll take it though. So. Well, until the next time, we'll see you guys in a bit. Yep. See ya. Ciao, ciao. Adios. Bye-bye.